Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome. You can grab your seats. And uh, we're going to open our Bibles together. And uh, thanks for just greeting one another and welcoming one another. Um, that's not a small thing, right? Uh, it's, a, it's a big thing to open up and be willing to talk to someone and allow them to talk to you. It can be intimidating, but it's also what we're called to do as believers, is to encourage one another, to get to know other people. Um, and so I'm grateful for that. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're, that's where we've been. We'll be there for a few more weeks. And um, we're in chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes. You can also go online to our uh, live page. You can click there. All the scriptures are there uh, that we'll be walking through this morning. That's also there for you that if you want to go back and review things or you think I said something that wasn't true, then you can go back and look at those scriptures and evaluate those all week long. And so they're there. We actually even have previous weeks that I keep on there for people if they want to go and listen to the podcast and then have those scriptures available. Um, our series is called When All Has Been Heard, because that's what Solomon says. He comes down to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, for those who have been here, you know this, but there's some new faces. The book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon's third book. He wrote Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs. He wrote Proverbs, and he wrote Ecclesiastes. Song of Solomon is a book all about passion when Solomon was young. Proverbs is a book about wisdom, kind of in his middle age, and Ecclesiastes is a book that's dealing with the end of his life. And he's coming to the end, the end of his kingdom, and what he's built, and he's kind of saying, wow, when everything's been heard, and when you realize that everything in life is meaningless, what do you do? And that's Ecclesiastes. And you have to remember who Solomon is. Solomon was probably one of the wealthiest kings to ever exist in the history of man, definitely in the history of God's people. He built an empire without raising a sword. He built it through intermarriage. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's not what God wanted. That's what Solomon did. And that's why he's miserable at the end of his life. Okay? That's why he's writing Ecclesiastes, looking back over his life. And he says, wow, I built everything that everybody everywhere wants. And I'm miserable. It's not working. I have it all. Everyone around the world would say Solomon has it all. And he's like, I have nothing. I'm a miserable person. And we, like Solomon, can do the same, right? Like we can try and build and, you know, do what we want to do and build our own little kingdom. And at some point, we're going to wake up and look around and realize that the kingdom that we built may not have been what God wants us to build. And that's what Solomon's realizing in Ecclesiastes. And so he's calling at the end of his life, Ecclesiastes means the gathering, he's calling the people together to teach them one final time, to tell them, hey, I was wrong. I, I, I got this wrong, and I'm warning you. I'm trying to, like he's laying it out for them at the end of his life. And he got some things right with Proverbs. He got some things right with Song of Solomon, but he didn't practice what he preached, right? Song of Solomon was about this beautiful woman that he married that was his wife and the, and the desire and the beauty of his heart. And that wasn't enough. He had to get 699 more. And how devastating it would have been for that wife to think I'm not enough. I don't measure up. And he wrote Proverbs because he was given supernatural wisdom. He wrote about wisdom and there's lots of wisdom in Proverbs. Proverbs aren't promises. They're just things that tend to be true if you do them. And Solomon didn't practice a lot of the things that the Proverbs talk about. So he knew the wisdom. He understood things. He didn't practice it. And Ecclesiastes is him coming to the end and realizing I practiced all the wrong things for all the wrong reasons, for all the wrong goals, and now i got to live with it. And man, i got to warn people. And so that's where we find ourselves. We walked through this book a couple of weeks ago. We looked at the fact that Solomon uh, talks about that there's, it's not always good, or good is not always bad. Good is not always good, and bad is not always bad. They're designed to reveal the joy of our heart, what we truly find joy in. We looked at what the value of a name was. Last week we looked at what does it look like to truly fear God and do his will? This week, here's what Solomon comes to in chapter 8. Who knows? And this is really the question that you're going to face the rest of your life. Who really knows? How do I know that this is true or that's true? How do I know this is the right decision and that's the wrong decision? Because the way Solomon's done it his whole life is if it works, 
He's done it. It worked to keep marrying women and creating peace. For a while, it's getting ready to split the kingdom because after Solomon dies, everything goes haywire. The entire kingdom of Israel falls apart. And within just a couple of generations, they're in slavery in Assyria and Babylon. They're an enslaved people because of their stupidity. And so Solomon in this chapter 8, he's been writing for seven chapters. He comes to chapter 8 and he's like, you know, the one who fears God will do what God wants him to do. Solomon says to fear God and obey his commands. That's the purpose for all humanity. It's for all of us. But how do I know which God? How do I know which commands? Like that's the thing we wrestle with in our culture. It's the thing that makes things very exclusive. And God, the God of the Bible and Jesus are very exclusive. They don't mince words. And so Solomon is saying, look, what do you believe? What are you chasing to know so that you can get what you want to get? Because who really knows? Do you? Are you your own God? Does that person over there really know? Have, have you watched them? Have you watched what they've taught and done play out three or four generations? Sure, it's working for them right now. Seems like everything's great. But how are their grandkids going to feel about them? How are their grandkids going to live their life in response to what they saw their dad or grandfather live his life doing? You see, we don't think that far in advance. We don't like to. We just want to do what we do that works. Leave me alone. Things are working. Don't mess things up. And that's how we approach a relationship with God. Until the debt comes due. Until all the things that we've sown and done, all of a sudden they start playing out long term and we're going, oh, that wasn't good. That didn't work like I thought it was going to work. And that's exactly where Solomon is when we dive into chapter Eight of this book. So here's Solomon. He writes, Only see this. I have discovered that God made people upright, but they pursued many schemes. We looked at this briefly last week. See, God's original design and plan was to make people upright, to have a relationship with them in which they responded perfectly to him every time. They were upright in their response to him. But man, you and I decided we wanted to be our own gods. I don't want someone telling me what to do, even if he's good, even if he's benevolent, even like I don't want anyone telling me what to do. And when someone does, the first thing that happens in my heart and happens in your heart, and you know it, is what rises up in us is, oh yeah, really? Your boss comes to you, hey, I need you to do this. Oh, oh yeah, really? Well, I was doing something else, but I'll do it. A brother, a sister. Hey, you need to do this. You're not mom. You're not dad. Every time what rises up in us when someone tells us to do something, every time it's like we're like, no, I don't want to, but I will. It's this attitude that we have, or we do it. Someone asks us to do something, and we do it, and the reason we do it is to pat ourselves on the back. That's right, because I'm so obedient, because I'm awesome. That's typically how we respond. We don't think, wow, are they, what, is what they're asking me to do righteous? D do I do it because God wants, we don't ask deeper questions. And Solomon is saying, look, I just see that all of us are a bunch of schemers. You, me, everyone out there has a scheme they're running. And they're trying to get us to buy it. That's why advertising works. And the more people that buy the scheme, the more we go, oh, it must work. Everybody loves it. Must be what I'm supposed to do. We don't question it. We don't look deeper. We don't dig deeper. We just take the scheme. Why? Because I'm actually looking for the same scheme. I'm, look, I'm looking for the same way to kind of do things. And Solomon says, hey, I've discovered that God wants us to be upright. He wanted me to be upright as a king. And instead, I just pursued schemes. Whatever, and a scheme is always, always, you can always tell a scheme because a scheme always is pragmatic. What works? That's always a scheme. You know it's a scheme when someone's looking at you, it works, it works, it works. Um, what are the side effects? Don't worry about it. It works. Well, no, there's always a catch. There's always side effects. There's always a long-term cost. No, no, no. It's per you just do it. We fall for it every time. Because we want to fix. 
We want our fears taken away. We want our problems done away with. And so we'll take one scheme after another. And then when we find one, we'll preach one scheme after another to people. Well, this is what worked for me. You need to do it. Really, do they? You know, we need to really fast and pray more in our church. Well, what if someone has a health condition and they can't without risking their lives? Oh, I never thought about that. No, you didn't. You see, we think we're going to come up with these schemes that'll make, and that's what Solomon said. He goes, I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in my kingdom. Then he says, look, who is like the wise person? And who knows the interpretation of a matter? You think you're wise? You think you know, really? Come on. Remember what you did last week? Like, that was so stupid. And you think you're smart now? Like, no, you're a moron. Like, you, really? Who's really like the wise person? Like, who plays out 20 years from, like, it truly plays out that what they were doing was wise. And who knows the interpretation? Do you really know the interpretation? Or do you think you know the interpretation? Have you done the study? Have you dug? Have you really looked? Have you asked questions? Have you been a learner? Or did you learn something? And it's not about you digging to find out the information. It's about you have something to tell people so that you can pat yourself on the back or that you can stay in your pride. And God's like, who knows the interpretation? Do you? Do I? Solomon's coming into his life. He's like, I thought I knew everything. I thought I was doing this all right. And I'm realizing it's all a mess. It's all futile. Everything I've been building, I'm looking around going, what was I thinking? And every one of us would want to be Solomon. Every one of us would want to be a part of Solomon's kingdom because there was no war. It was just peace. There was riches everywhere. We would love that. And we would say, see, we got the best God and the best kingdom because it works. And then when you see in just a couple of generations, everybody fleeing from God and leaving God and fighting God, you go, oh, because they lost all the stuff they believed was God. And we're in the same boat. And so Solomon says, who is the really wise person? Who knows the interpretation of the matter? What's the correct answer to that question biblically? Not a trick question. God, Jesus. It's it's not a trick question. Solomon's not asking a trick question here. He's like, who really is wise and who really knows it? Well, God does. So are you seeking him for what's wise? Are you seeking him for the proper interpretation? Or have you already decided on something and you're telling God, you fit here? Right here. You fit. Good. And you move on to the next thing. Or do you truly just live and say, okay, God, I I think this is right. See, that's what the Lord is talking about. That's what Solomon is getting at in chapter 8. I heard this many years ago. Someone laid this out, and I've used this a couple of times in our church. But it's something I think about on a regular basis, and it's three things. Beliefs, decisions, and outcomes. See, the way we think is we look at people's outcomes, we look at the decisions they make, And then we say, what did they believe? We don't start with belief. We always, almost always start with outcomes. This is what I want. This is what I think I should, I deserve. And so then we say, okay, what are the decisions I need to make to get there? But we don't ask the question of what beliefs am I walking into when I choose to believe the outcome I want, make decisions? What beliefs am I allowing in? God says you need to start with belief. Solomon is realizing I've been doing this opposite. Solomon's been doing outcomes, decisions, beliefs. He's so wise, he knows exactly the outcomes God wants. He's so wise, he makes decisions to manipulate those outcomes so he gets what he wants. And in the end, he's looking around and going, I don't think I believe in God. I'm questioning whether I truly believe. What have I done with my life? When we're supposed to start with belief, because what you believe will determine what you do. It is the seed, Jesus says, the mustard seed that that causes everything else. What you believe matters. What someone believes matters. And if you don't think it does, watch out, because you're going to end up like Solomon. And so be careful when you're saying, I want this outcome, I want that outcome. So many people are like, oh, I just want someone to be with. I want to be married. Great. Do you even know what the beliefs of marriage are? 
Do you even know what the Bible has to say about marriage for you as a man or a woman? Do you believe it? Do you trust God when he says it? Because if you do, you'll make decisions now to get yourself ready for a marriage outcome. But see, what we do is we want an outcome. So we go find somebody, and then we get mad that it's not working out, and we say, well, you need to change and make different decisions. And then we go, oh, yeah, we don't believe the same things. Guys, listen, Solomon is the wisest man ever to live outside of Jesus. He's super, and he's realizing, he's like, I have not prioritized belief in my life. I've prioritized outcomes, and I've gotten everything I want and I'm realizing i got to back the truck up, and I'm warning you guys, make different decisions. Believe different things. It starts with belief. Do I believe that I'm my own God? Do I believe God owes me? Do I believe these things? Or do I believe that there is a God named Jesus, the Son of God, who left heaven itself and all of his rights, came to earth, was abused, mutilated, and tortured because I deserve that, then he was resurrected to prove he can give me life, but he says, I've got a home for you in heaven, but I'm going to keep you on earth so that you live the same way I lived. There's the belief. And we go, no. I want heaven on earth now. I want an outcome where I have heaven now, where there's peace now, where things work out now, where it's easy now. And Jesus is like, I came and modeled to you that that wasn't going to work that way. I, I came and showed you what decisions you, could, you should make by literally living as a human being, 100% God, 100%, so I could show you what it looked like to live that way and to show you what the outcome would be if you do it. They'll kill you. And we go, well, yeah, but I mean, it's different now, right? Like, it's different for us. It's not what he says. And Solomon, so get this right. Who knows? Well, first, God knows. So you better get your beliefs about God right and what he knows. Then you look at the decisions God has made and what he has done throughout history. Then you come to a belief to say, God, I trust you with whatever outcome comes out of my belief and my decision to trust you. You ready for this? Fear God. Obey his commands. He has heaven waiting for you. It's all good. And that's what the book of Ecclesiastes lays out. Fear God, obey him, and let the outcomes fall. And you know what? It probably won't work out well. Because Solomon's realizing it's worked out really well for me, and I'm realizing now it's not going to work out real well. And it, my heart is so miserable. Where Jesus went to the cross and it said he endured the cross. Why? Because of the joy set before him. The joy for you the joy for me to be adopted as children. He gave his life. And Solomon's realizing that's not what he did. Look at what Peter says. Peter, when he's writing his second letter, says, first of all, you should know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. We need to test. We'll see this in a minute. We need to look and say, okay, is this just some guy spouting off about what he thinks, or is this actually what the whole of Scripture teaches? Because there's a lot of grab a Bible verse and put it on a meme and throw it on social media that we love in our culture, and most of those verses we cling to are taken out of context. And you don't know it because you haven't looked, because you don't care what the belief is. You just have an outcome. You feel bad. A verse popped up that made you feel better. So I'm going to make a decision to send that verse back out so other people can feel what I felt. And nobody goes, well, is that the true belief that we should have before I repost that? There's a little bit more to the context of that scripture. I better pause for a moment. Because if I say this is true and people don't get that outcome, then I'm saying something about people. For example, you can be healed by faith. If you just believe enough and trust God, by his stripes, he will heal you. You will be healed because you have to have enough faith. So what happens when someone isn't healed? Whose fault is it? Oh, it's their fault because they didn't have enough faith. Oh, really? It's their fault? That's so convenient for you to get up and preach that it's their fault as if 
You can just spout that off and God kills people all the time by sickness. Paul says in one of his letters, hey, I want you to visit this brother, Timothy, when you come to visit me because I left him sick in Miletus. So Paul says there's a faithful brother you need to visit who is sick and I left him and I want you to be sure you visit your faithful brother. He didn't say stop by and heal him. He said visit and comfort him because he's sick. And for some reason, God isn't making him well. But see, we so want healing, and we so want to proclaim things because I don't want to be sick and die of a sickness. I don't want to die of cancer. I don't want, to, I don't want my body to go through what I watch my sister's body go through and be riddled with. I saw that. It's awful. She looked like a Holocaust victim at the end. It was horrible. I don't want that. So you know what? I can have enough faith. I'll have enough faith. If I just say I have enough faith and I can make outcomes happen. Show me where that's at in Scripture. you got to die of something. So yeah, the Lord healed my sister miraculously of cancer the first time she got it. Miraculous. I'm sorry, through the doctors the first time she got it. The doctors, the first time she got cancer, she fully submitted. She was a full charismatic when she got cancer. I'm talking lay hands on, slay kind of gal. That's who she was. She got cancer the first time, and she fully submitted to the doctors. And God healed her through medicine. And she left the charismatic church because of the false teaching. She got cancer again. Second time she got cancer, she was now part of a Presbyterian church. Boy, that's a swing. Charismatic to Presbyterian. Like, that's like, boom, man, you went all the way, Right? And she's now got cancer again, and she feels like she's dying. My cousin calls her up and says, hey, I want to take you to church. And she's like, I got a turban on. I haven't even showered. I'm in a bathrobe and a turban. She goes, that's kind of what they were in the Bible days. I'll pick you up. So she picked her up, took her to church in a bathrobe and a turban. And my sister laid on the front pew, sick as could be, while she just listened to the words of God, laying on the front pew miserable. They had a pitch in afterwards. They all went downstairs to eat, and the smell of the food was making my sister sick. She couldn't go downstairs. Someone realized it and they said, you know what? It's wrong of us to be down here celebrating while our sister's sick upstairs. Let's just, go, let's just go pray for her. Let's just lay hands on her and just pray for her. So they all went up as a church and they laid hands on Belinda and they prayed for her. She knew. She's like, I think my cancer's gone. And she felt like that day God said, just stop taking your meds and trust me. I don't advise that. Okay? Just be careful. Remember, the first time she did everything the doctor said. She went into the doctor, who was the best cancer doctor in her area, went into the doctor. Doctor said, hey, you've been taking your medicine? She's like, no. He started laying into her about her God. You and your God. I healed you last time. She goes, well, this time you've got no part of this. He went and did the cancer markers. They came back completely clean came back white as a sheet. He said, we're running these tests again. Took the tests again. She's completely clean. And he was like, I have no way to explain this. And she looked at him and said, of course you don't. The first time I needed to be under your authority, the first time I needed to listen to you, this time you need to listen. And the last time she got cancer, she knew it was time to go home because God had answered the three prayer requests she had in the very beginning. And she said, it's time for me to go. It's time for me to see my grandparents. It's time for me to see my cousin. My battle's over. And the Lord took her home. And it was a beautiful home going. You see, beliefs, decisions, and outcomes matter. And if we're just looking for an outcome, we're going to get the wrong decisions and the wrong beliefs. But if we get our beliefs right and we fear God and understand what he says in his word, and we understand the decisions we need to make because of that, and we trust him with the outcomes, God will do more than we could ever think or imagine. But we can't get that backwards because he knows. And he says there is an interpretation. There is one interpretation. We can't interpret scripture a bunch of different ways. However, there are different applications to scripture, and that's where all the mess comes in. That's the big mess that we all get in fights about. And the question is, why are you applying the scripture that way? What outcome do you want? And we as Baptists, we might think we have the right answers, but you better ask in your heart, 
Why do you believe that? What outcome are you shooting for? Ecclesiastes goes on. It says, a man's wisdom brightens his face and the sternness of his face is changed. See, you will get excited about the things that you think you have right. You think you have the right diet? Someone's like, man, I just can't find the diet right. You're going to be like, right diet. You're going to be like, oh, let me tell you about mine. Right? Like you're going to be right in there. Your face is going to brighten up. Because I have an answer. I have something for you. It's the natural thing we as humans do when we think we've got something right. The question is, do you really have it right or are you happy about the wrong things? Is your face, does your face brighten up about the wrong things? Because we can get really face bright and excited about the wrong things. Solomon is just stating a truth. Whatever you think is wise, whatever you believe is wise, and the decisions that you make that you think are wise, it's going to change your face from this to this. So why is it when we read God's commands, most of the time when we read about God and his commands, our faces are like this? Instead of excited that he's entrusted us with a relationship with him and wisdom to know how to live our lives and we can trust him with the outcomes. Because he says our face will be right. If we know that God knows and we can go to him and go, God, you're the wise one, I trust you, then your face will brighten up. Even my sister, like she was the most bright person going through cancer I have ever met in my life. She went and served in the Kroger Deli. She never worked outside the Kroger Deli. And when asked one time why, she said, because I make the mayor his cakes for his, wa- his daughter's wedding, and I serve the homeless guy meat off the street. The homeless guy, not off the street. The homeless guy off the street, I give him meat to eat. I serve a broad range of people in this position. Why would I want to do something different? Like she gave, she was always a joy. People would look at her, Belinda, go home. Why are you here? She's like, because I'll just sit home and be miserable. I'm supposed to serve if I have a breath left and I have some breaths left, so I'm here serving. When she would go in for cancer treatments, she would make my dad stop and get donuts and juice and they would go around and she would pass out donuts and juice in the cancer ward and pray for people while she was waiting on her appointment. Not going in, oh, it's a miserable, I'm going to take chemo today, it's going to be awful. Just, I don't know how I'm going to endure this. I'm gonna... She's like, yep, it's going to be awful, it's going to stink. But you know what? I can encourage some people before it's awful. Like that's the heart that God, that's what Solomon is realizing. He's realizing, I didn't get this. But now that I've seen it long enough and I've seen other people who know it and get it and believe it, oh, I want, I want that, Solomon is saying. Look at what Luke says. Jesus said this in Luke. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Don't rejoice that you think you know how to make things work in the world and the spirits submit and I tell them do this and they do it. No, no, no. Rejoice, make your face happy that your names are written in heaven. When is the last time you looked at God and said, God, nothing is working for me. Nothing's working like it's supposed to. I don't know what's going on, but man, I'm just really happy today that my name's written in your book. Thank you. goes on, he says, in that same hour, he rejoiced, Jesus said, in the Holy Spirit, and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you've revealed them to infants. Infants. Why? Because the wise and the learned already think they have it figured out. They're out there telling everybody what to do. They're not telling everybody to trust the Father. And then he says, yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, the eyes that see the things you see. Like privately, he's like, come here. The eyes that see the things you see. Oh man, those are happy eyes. That's what the word blessed means. It means happy. Oh, you should be so happy you're seeing this. Like people would long to see what you're seeing. He goes on, for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see the things you didn't see, that you see yet didn't see them, to hear the things you hear yet didn't hear them. Uh, Which king are we reading about that wishes he could have seen these things and heard these things? Solomon. Solomon's coming to the end of his life and he said, I had the opportunity to hear and see these things my whole life and I ignored them. 
And Jesus is like, man, be happy that you're hearing this message today. Be happy that you're going through these scriptures today. Be happy that you're actually hearing the truth about the world when everybody else is living in a lie. Like, find joy in that, he says. Ecclesiastes goes on, he says, keep the king's command because of your oath made before God. Do not be in a hurry, leave his presence, and don't persist in a bad cause, since he will do whatever he wants. For the king's word is authoritative, and who can say to him, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? How many of us say that to God every day? The king of the universe, and we're like, what do you think you're doing, God? This isn't the outcome I want. I've been good for you. I made all these decisions. I, I believed you're God. Now why isn't it working the way, you, the way I want it to work out? Solomon's like, you better keep the king's command regardless of how it works out. And you better not ask him, what are you doing? Because that's not a good question to ask a king who carries the sword and can annihilate you. Now, does God give permission for us to ask stupid questions? Yep, he does, because he loves us. He's patient with us. But don't be surprised when you ask, who knows and what are you doing, that God just doesn't take you on a little journey like he did Job at the end of the book of Job and tell you, where were you when the mountains were created? Where were you when snow falls? Where, like, he's going to put you in your proper place that you are literally nothing when you think about the size of the universe. And if you take five seconds to think about that and how vulnerable you are today, it's like, I'm nothing. And God says, you are nothing, but you're something to me because I gave you a soul and I gave you life and I love you and I want to know you. And that's exactly what Solomon's writing. He's like, you know, we constantly are trying to throw off the authority of God's word. The king's word is authoritative. And we are constantly trying to find another authority that will interpret and make the word say what we want it to say. That's how most people pick churches. Why? They look at a church and they look at the outcomes of the church. There's a lot of people. I like their music. Their pastor seems hip and cool. He works out. Like they have all this, That's not me. And then they have all this stuff, right, that's listed there. And they go, that's why I want that church. Outcomes. And then I'm having a conversation with them and I'm looking at them and going, well, do you know your church believes this? And they're like, no. Yeah. They believe that. You should question that and you should decide if you believe that. Because you're going to have to submit to that if you believe it. Well, I don't think they believe that. Have you read their... Their covenants? Have you read their bylaws? They actually do. It's right there. Well, I, have, I can't find it. Call them. Like, we won't investigate. It's just, if it works and it seems nice and friendly, then listen, don't come here unless you check us out. Look at our membership class. Dig. Go to the Word of God. And if you find something that's out of line, please confront us. Because I don't want people to perish and I don't want to lead people astray. Please. Now, do we do everything right? Nope. We're morons sometimes in how we apply things. It's a struggle. We don't get the application right at times. Correct? We, it's hard. But I'll stake, I'll stake myself on our beliefs. Like this, and if we're wrong, I'll be the first one to say, I'm sorry. Wow, I repent. I don't think I'm wrong, but I'm willing to be wrong. I'm willing to be rebuked and confronted. And that's exactly what he's saying. He's saying, you, listen, the true test of you thinking who knows is how you submit to authority. It is the true test. If you're constantly the authority in your life and you don't listen to anybody and you do what you want, then you think you know. You think you're the boss. If you don't have people around you that are able to speak into your life and humble you and say don't do that and like, You've got a problem in your life. Now, if you're a person that just keeps all authority around you so you don't have to take any responsibility, you also have a problem in your life. It's a both and. And Solomon knew it. And he's warning. He's saying, look, you think you're so wise. You think you know how to interpret. By whose authority are you doing it? We try to interpret by the king's word and his authority. 1 Thessalonians, you guys know that right now there's this Asbury revival that's happening. There's a college in Kentucky where people 
They're calling it a revival. The, the president of the college is actually calling it an awakening. Because I love what he said. He says it's an awakening because a revival is what happens after the awakening and people are obedient for a while. And that obedience spreads. So right now we're having a fear of God awakening moment, but we don't know if this is a revival yet because I haven't seen the fruit of what's going to happen. So people may be getting awake a little bit, but you know, when you wake up, you haven't done anything yet today. You're just awake. Good job. But there's stuff to do. He's like, we need to wait and see how this plays out before we call this a revival. And so look at what we're supposed to do. Thessalonians says this, Now we ask you, brothers, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you. That means you need to be admonished. I need to be admonished. Right? Like, don't do that. Not good for you. And regard them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Most of us are so busy being at war among ourselves, arguing about everything, that we don't have peace. Like, just be at peace. Like, I don't know. Who knows? Well, God does. And it may take us a while to figure out what God knows. Then he goes on and he says, And we exhort you, brothers, warn those who are irresponsible. Some of you in this church, we've warned. And we've helped you get responsible. Because we love you. We love you. He says, comfort the discouraged. Some of you have tried to be responsible and you failed miserably. And we've encouraged you because you're discouraged. And we still love you. And we're going to struggle with you as long as you still say it's a struggle. When you decide you don't need to struggle anymore, then we got problems. But if you're still saying, I want to struggle, then we'll be there to struggle with you. He goes on and he says, help the weak. Some of you are just weak. And you need help. He goes on and he says, be patient with everyone. Exactly. Because who knows how long this is going to take. <laughs> I don't know how long it's going to take for you to get fixed. You don't know how long it's take for me to get fixed. Susan's been waiting a long time. She's prayed a lot. <laughs> goes on and she says, See to it that no one repays evil to evil for, to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. What's good? What God says is good. Not what I think is good, what God says is good. Do you know what God says is good? And then he says, here's what's good. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I have used this verse all the last four weeks. I don't know if you've noticed that. It's been repetitive. Because as Solomon is struggling with this, this is what Solomon is struggling with. He hasn't done this in his life. He hasn't rejoiced. He's just done what felt good. He hasn't prayed. He's just done what works. He hasn't give thanks because, well, God's just blessing me, so I don't need to worry about it. And then look at what he says. Don't stifle the Spirit. Do I know what's happening in Asbury? Do I know if it's of God or not of God? I have no idea. And you know what? I'm not going to go there to look. I have the Bible. I have the Holy Spirit in my heart as a result of accepting Christ. I have everything at my disposal to have happen in Asbury happen in my heart today and tomorrow morning and the next day. And all of you do too. We all have the ability to do what's there. I don't need to go get some spirit. It's not like they're in a bottle and I bring it home and I open the can on you guys and it just whoosh. That's not how the Bible presents God. That's Old Testament. That's the temple mentality. We're out of that. But do I criticize Asbury and say, well, see, since people are going there and you guys are letting them, then it can't be real? No, I don't know. Do I think people's lives are being changed? Yeah, I think there's some genuine people who are crying out to God that will probably never be the same. And God's going to use it. You know, God can use King Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible. What an idiot. I mean, he tried to make his own God. He tried to make himself a God and raise up a big statue to himself. And God still used that guy. If he can use him, then who am I to say he can't use Asbury? So be very careful. And then he says, do not despise prophecies. Prophecies are not future telling. Prophecies is the word of God. Don't despise the word of God because that's what a prophecy is. It's, a prophecy is what God says. That's, that's the definition of prophecy. God says that's a prophecy. So don't despise the word of God. Then he goes on and he says, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That means make you more like him because you don't want to stay like you. 
And then he says, and may your spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And guess what? He who calls you to this is faithful when you aren't. And he'll do it. So who knows? Well, the faithful one knows. Well, who's going to do it? He's going to do it. He'll do it. You can't do it for yourself. You can't save yourself. You can't sanctify yourself. You, you have to trust God. You have to surrender to him. It's the great mystery of Scripture. Our works don't come out of trying to earn something from God and prove something. Our works come out of rejoicing, praying, and deep gratitude that God says, I want to bless that, and he puts his spirit in you, and the works begin to happen. That's how this is laid out. He goes on and says, the one who keeps a command, this is Solomon, will not experience anything harmful. In other words, if you can, you're not going to be harmed if you actually obey. Harm comes when you stop obeying. Jesus didn't obey the evil rulers of his day. And what happened to Jesus? He got harmed. He was crucified. He was beaten. Was it right for him to be harmed? No, it was unjust. But it was necessary. Because he stood up to authority. And that's what Solomon's saying. Look, you can keep the command and you're not going to experience anything harmful. And a wise heart knows the right time and procedure. Do you really know the right time and procedure to deal with issues? Or do you just say what's on the cuff and on your mouth and you just run with it? Do you ask God, hey, you know when the right time is, or do you just confront stuff and cause a big mess? And then he says, for every activity there is a right time and procedure, even though man's troubles are heavy on him. I know you got problems. I know you want this problem dealt with. I know you want it to be gone and gone. I I get all that. Listen, I understand. It's not the right time. You're going to have to trust me. You have to trust me through it. It's not the right time. But I want it now, Lord. You said I could have it. It's right here. Not the right time. And why is that so hard for us to believe? I am so glad that God has not taken me every time I've told him, hey, you can take me. Right? There have been multiple times. I look at him like, I'm ready. I'm right here. I'm I'm ready. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. And God's like, no, not the right time. Love you. Have a good day. I'll be with you. No, no, really, I'm ready. (laughs) And then something happens. And you're like, I'm glad he didn't listen to me. Because I would have missed the birth of my grandchild. He didn't have to give me the birth of my grandchild. There's no guarantees. But man, I'm glad he did. He goes on. He says, Yet no one knows what will happen because who can tell him what will happen? You think you know what's going to happen? You think you tell everybody else how it's going to work out? If you just do this, then you'll get this. It'll all happen. No, you don't know. The only thing you know is eternity. You know people are going to die and they're going to have to spend eternity someplace. That's about it. It's about all we know. For sure. Are there some other things we can know? Sure, but those are the guarantees. Romans says this, in the same way, the Spirit also joins to help us in our weakness because we don't know what to pray for as we should. Ever been there? I don't know. Who knows what to pray? But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. You ever just been not able to pray and you're like, God, I, I, don't, need, I don't know what to do. Like, I, I love you. That's all I got. And God's like, it's okay. I, I'll groan for you. <laughs> Then he goes on, he says, and he who searches the hearts knows the Spirit's mindset. That's the belief, not the outcomes. Because he intercedes for the saints according to what we want and what we ask for. Is that what that says? Oh no, according to the will of God. He's like, I'm going to intercede for you according to what the will of God is, not what you want. And sometimes what you want is the will of God. Other times it's not, and I'm not giving it to you. Sometimes God lets us have what's not the will of God so that we cry out for the will of God. We're like, oh, I'm sorry. Please give me your will because this is awful. He goes on. He says, we know that all things work together for good, for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. That verse that we use all the time is set in the context of someone that is so miserable they can't even pray. 
and we use that verse and say, oh, this is good. For, just where everything works out for good for those who love him. We're called according to the big. This is someone who is so broken, they can't even pray. And Paul's like, look, you're in the right spot for me to give you this verse. Know that all things work out together. <laughs> even this misery and this garbage you're going through, it all works. Trust him through it. Even the sin you've committed and the mess you've made, I am telling you, he will work it out. You may never see it in your lifetime. You may never experience the good. You may groan a lot longer, but I am telling you, you're going to have to hold on to this promise without seeing the results. See, we don't look at that context. We just post that verse on Facebook. And everybody's like, well, yeah, God's just going to work everything out for me. No. He's going to work everything out for himself. For his will to be done. For people to be changed. Ecclesiastes goes on. says, no one has authority over the wind to restrain it. In other words, you think you can tell people what to do and authorities what to do? You can't even catch the wind. Try to catch it in a bag and take it inside and open it up. Like, where'd it go? And there's no authority over the day of death. There is no furlough in battle and wickedness will not allow those who practice it to escape. He's like, why can't you accept these simple things? You can't, you can't hold wind. Like, the day of death is coming. You're going to have a battle on your hands your whole life. And you know what? Wickedness is always going to be around and it's going to be taking people out. Like, you, you can't control these things. You don't have authority over these things. And this is what Solomon says. All this I have seen, applying my mind to all the work that is done under the sun at a time when one man has authority over another to his harm. So see, the logical question is, okay, if I'm supposed to submit to this authority and I'm supposed to be careful how I hand authority, oh, but God, they're so bad. Yep. And you know what you'd do if you had authority? You'd be awful. You'd be bad too. You'd be terrible. Yeah, everybody thinks they can be in charge, so they're in charge. And they're like, I don't want to be in charge anymore. I tell the guy I work for construction all the time, I'm like, I am so glad. This is the one area of my life that I have no authority in. It's wonderful. I just come here, I come in, and when I tell you, I like put in my hours, and I go home, I don't get any phone calls, nobody bugs me, they're after you, not me. Like, it is the best deal. Because in every other area of my life, I'm getting called in the middle of the night, in the morning. I mean, this morning, I received a call from around the world from a guy we sent out into missions years ago, and he's struggling with a marriage issue, and he's calling me at 6 a.m. this morning saying, hey, or texting me, hey, you up right now? I'm like, well, yeah. He's like, could we talk? I'm like, oh, this is strange. I'm getting a text from a guy around the world. Yes, give me five minutes to finish my sandwich when I'm eating. Like, and I'm on the phone with him giving marriage counseling halfway across the globe. And then I look at my own marriage and I'm like, yeah, I don't know, I, yeah. I know what I should do and I'm going to struggle with you. <laughs> Here's what God's word says. And he says, I don't have any authority over him, but we both recognize that we're going to take each other to the authority. He knew that if he called me, what he was going to get, the authority of God's word. And I know that if I had to call somebody, I'd call him. Why? Because he's going to give me the authority of God's word, even if I don't want to hear it. And he says, in such circumstances, I saw the wicked buried. They came and went from the holy place, and they were praised in the city where they did so, and it's just futile. So what? The wicked are praised. They get buried, and then what are they going to do for eternity? And they're forgotten. You think wickedness is so bad? Oh, it's so awful. What are we going to do? Don't worry. They'll die and be gone. And never be remembered. The, wick, the most wicked leaders in history, you don't even know the names of. I mean, we know the ones in recent history that we think were really wicked, but not all of history. Because wickedness is just where we're at. First Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and temporary residents to abstain from fleshly desires that war against you. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. That's people who don't believe. So that in a case where they speak against you as those who do what is evil, they will, by observing your good works, glorify the God on the day of visitation. In other words, they're going to watch you speak about God, live your life for God, and then when God finally visits them one day, they're going to wake up and go, who can I talk to about this thing that I'm thinking about, about God? And they're going to come to you. 
And then it says, submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors as those sent out by the emperor to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. The emperor at this time was killing Christians. He was impaling Christians on stick, putting oil on their body, and lighting them on fire to light his streets in Rome. And Peter writes and says, hey, do your best to submit to the emperor. You think you got it bad because we got to pay taxes? Peter's like, look, people are watching how you handle your life. And if you just become another authority and another authority, they're like, well, that's just like everybody else. But if you're someone that lays down your life and comes under and doesn't say the authority's doing the right thing, but you're like, you're a brood of vipers, you can kill me now. Like, if that's, if that's how you live your life, he goes on and he says, for it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by what? By stabbing them? Punching them in the nose? And shut up. Like, is that how we're going to silence foolish people? By doing good. What God says is good. As God's slaves, live as free people. But don't use your freedom as a way to conceal evil. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. That's Solomon's message throughout this whole book. And honor the emperor. He doesn't say obey the emperor. He says honor his position. God's put him there for some reason. You got to deal with it. See, these are messages we don't like. And Solomon's writing the same thing. He goes on. He says, because of the sentence against a criminal act is not carried out quickly, the heart of people is filled with the desire to commit crime. He's, he says, look, this is what happens. When you throw off authority, you think you know what's best. Who knows? Well, I know. Okay, great. You become your own authority. Then you become your own authority. Then You know what we have? Anarchy. And Solomon's like, when you get anarchy, because we won't listen to anyone, we won't submit to anyone, we won't, here's what happens. We don't have anything that's criminal because everybody just does what they want to do. And the heart of people then says, well, if they can do it, I'll do it. What's the point of me living righteous? What is the point of me doing the right thing if I'm going to get, I can get by with it too. And that's exactly what I see so many Christians do. Well, if they're doing it, you do it. No, that's not what the policy says I should do at work. I'm not doing it. The policy says this. Now, if I have to stand up to the policy, I should go to my boss and tell him, this policy I'm standing up to because I don't agree with it, and you can fire me. That's how we should handle the conversations, but we don't. We just look around at what everybody else does, and we try to get by with everything everybody else does. That's not the way we're supposed to act as Christians. That's not what Solomon says. not what Peter says. not what Jesus says. Who knows? Well, God knows. He says, although a sinner commits a crime a hundred times and prolongs his life, Yet I also know that it will go well with God-fearing people. Do you really believe that? Because most of the Christians I run into, they're so mad at God because they're fearing him and they're doing the things that God wants him to do, but they're so mad that they can't get what the world has. They're so upset they can't get what wicked people have and that God takes away the stuff that they want. Then he says, they are reverent before him. Are you reverent before him? However, it will not go well with the wicked. And they will lengthen their days like a shadow. And they will not lengthen their days like a shadow, for they are not reverent before God. In other words, they're going to perish. Matthew, Jesus says this, Therefore, don't be afraid of them. Who knows what's going to happen to me if I confront this? If I do, don't be afraid of them. Fear God. Since there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered and nothing hidden that won't be made known. I don't know about you, when I read that, I go, oh, I got a lot of hidden stuff. I, and it goes on and says, what I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear is a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. Don't fear those who can kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. This is Jesus speaking. You know, the loving, really cool, hip guy, hippie Jesus kind of guy? No. And he's like, no, you're going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. You got to make a choice. Jesus wrote that. Jesus said that. And then he says, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny, yet one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent, or not, yet not one of them. But even the hairs on your head have all been counted. So don't be afraid, therefore, you are worth more than many sparrows. See, there's our problem. Who knows if I'm worth anything? Who knows if God loves me? 
Who knows if God can forgive me? God does. <laughs> Who knows? God, man, if people really knew all the wicked, God does. He still loves you. He still says, I, I know every hair on your head. I know every wicked you did. Now what are you going to do with it? You come to me with it? You try to prove something you can't prove? By working it off because you can't do it? Solomon goes on. He says, there's a futility that's done on the earth. There are righteous people who get the actions of the get what the actions of the wicked deserve, and there are wicked people who get what the actions of the righteous deserve. I say this too is futile. Yep. And Jesus did exactly that. Jesus proved Solomon completely right. Yeah, it's absolutely futile that you would kill the perfect son of God. And it's absolutely futile that there would be a God that would allow himself to go through that so that you could be forgiven and loved. There's no other religion that presents this. There's no other religion that lays this out that says this is how God knows you. This is how you can know God. See, expectations are everything in a relationship and what you expect that you think you deserve matters. And if we understand how wicked we are, then I don't expect righteous things. But when I get righteous things, I thank God and say, God, I don't deserve anything. Why would you love me? Thank you. You've made me righteous. You've done this. You owe me nothing. That is, see, this is the gospel message. This is the message of the gospel. You can work your whole life doing right or wicked, and in the end, it doesn't matter. What matters is what you decided to believe about God and the, out, the decisions you made and the outcome that's guaranteed by him. That's what matters. So you can repent on your deathbed or you can repent when you're five years old. It doesn't matter because God is offering it. Now, should we wait and repent? No, I wouldn't do that. I would be like, well, yeah, so I'm going to have to party it up and do all I can. And at the end of my life, I'm going to be like, hey, God, if that's your heart, you're probably not going to be saved. Because God sees right through that heart that you really don't love him. You just want something from him. He goes on and says this in Matthew, Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will deny him before my Father in heaven. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. What kind of sword? The Word of God. A sword that cuts through joint and marrow. The person who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The person who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone finding his life will lose it. And anyone losing his life because of me will find it. Who knows what we're supposed to do? God does. Jesus says, this is what you can know. This is what you can be confident of. This is what you can trust. Well, am I going to have a right relationship with my mom? or my? Don't worry about it. God will take care of it. You just believe in me, do what I ask you to do, and trust me with the outcome of your life. And trust me, God asks us to do really simple stuff like work, rest, <laughs> manage our money that he's given us, like love people well as he says to love them, rebuke people, as he says to rebuke, like these aren't hard things. Solomon goes on and says, so I, commend, I commended enjoyment because there's nothing better for man under the sun than to eat, drink, and enjoy himself for this will accompany him in all the labor during the days of his life that God gives him under the sun. Remember, Solomon is not saying eat, drink, and be merry under heaven. He's saying the only option for people that don't believe in God is to just try to keep filling themselves up and stay happy and it doesn't work. True enjoyment, the true ability to eat, drink, and enjoy ourselves in a world that's so messed up like our world, and when you're eating and you think about everybody that's starving and you go, should I, I feel so bad? The only reason you have the ability or should have the ability as a Christian to eat that is because you're like, God, it is awful for everyone, but thank you for giving me this. And I praise you and I glorify you and I'm grateful to you and I give you credit because I want to find my joy and my enjoyment, not in all the things, but in you. And so the things are just a way for me to enjoy you, not to enjoy the things. That's what Solomon's trying to get him to realize. Philippians says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if, there's anything if there is any praise, dwell on these things. How do you do in dwelling on those things? Because see, that's what works. 
Dwelling on those things works. Dwelling on all the other stuff doesn't work. That's why Paul's like, dwell on these things, Philippian church, because you're going through a lot, because you're being persecuted. So dwell on these things, because if you dwell on the other stuff, it's not going to work well. And then he says, do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. They saw Paul get beaten. They saw him be stoned. They saw him be persecuted. They saw him be ridiculed. They saw him make tents when he deserved to earn an income. They saw Paul do all kinds of crazy stuff. And he's like, and did you not see me at peace the whole time I was doing this? Then he goes on, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I knew you were concerned, but you, you lacked the opportunity to help me. I don't say this out of need. In other words, I'm not saying this because I'm trying to manipulate you to give me something. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. Verse 12, he says, I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. And then he says the verse that we take out of context. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. And we just say that verse. We don't say the next part or the part before it. Still, you did well by sharing with me in my hardship. See, we quote a verse like, I'm able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and we slap whatever thing we want onto the end of that. I can become a professional, I can become a professional athlete. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul's talking about hardship here and contentment. And he's like, I can't be content and go through hardship unless I've got the strength of God. And you can't either. You will cave. This isn't a verse to slap on and say, I'm going to be successful. It's a verse that says, I'm miserable. And I'm struggling with contentment and how to do this. And if I don't have God doing it, I'm going to mess this all up. And that's exactly why Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, because he saw he messed it all up. Last set of scriptures. Verse 16 says, When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the activity that is done on the earth, even though one's eyes do not close in sleep day or night, I observed all the work of God and concluded that man is unable to discover the work that is done under the sun. Even though a man labors hard to explore it, cannot find it. Even if the wise man claims to know it, he is unable to discover it. Solomon is saying, look, this is hard. This is difficult. I, it is difficult to go through this stuff and to grapple with this stuff. And thankfully, we have someone that answered Solomon's question for us. And don't forget that Solomon answers his question for himself later. He says, who is able to discover it? And he says, here's how you're able to discover it. Fear God and obey him. If you do that, you'll be able to endure under the sun. Here's how Jesus said it. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know. We don't know. Where you're going, how can we know the way? Jesus told him, Thomas, I am Yahweh, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you know him? Do you want to know him deeply? and even more than you do now. Solomon longed to know. He wrestled with wanting to know these things. Jesus said, kings would want to know about me. Kings would want to see my crucifixion and resurrection. Kings would want to be able to read what you've read. And they can't. Because it hasn't happened yet. But we can. So this morning, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know. But God does. He knows. And he wants to tell you that every hair has been numbered. You are important to him. You are loved by him. You are cared for by him. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. Don't pursue anything else. If you pursue that, if you get that belief right, you will start to get the right decisions right. And the outcomes, you let them go. You let God have the outcomes.
Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your grace. Lord, we don't deserve to even hear these words. We just read about a people group halfway around the world that doesn't have anyone telling them these things this morning. They're lost. They don't know you. They don't have hope. They're trying to work and do things that they for outcomes and offer sacrifices and prayers to their gods for the outcomes they want. And they don't know that there's a God who says the outcomes are guaranteed for eternity, but I'm asking you to give your life here and now because you understand that. So this morning, if there's anyone here, Lord, who doesn't know you and they're asking, who knows? What religion can I trust? What God is out there? Lord, I pray they would actually seek you. And they would say, man, I, I, I want to know this God because it's different than any other one. And Lord, I pray that they would not take that lightly, that they would dig in. And Lord, for those of us who are believers who, who say we know you, Lord, what are the areas that we're not trusting in you to give us your knowledge? And I pray we'd surrender that. You've told us what we can know. We, you, we can know that we can rejoice, we can pray, we can, we can praise you. We can do all these good things. Lord, there's so much we can know. Lord, help us to, to trust you in what we will never know and what you've chosen not to let us know. And Lord, you've earned it. You've shown us you're trustworthy. So Lord, help us to live that way. And Lord, I just pray that you continue to, to show us that you're the way, the life, and the truth that we can trust that we go to your word and we listen to it because it's trying to tell us who you are, what to believe and the decisions we're to make. And it tells us that we have a guaranteed outcome. And we thank you in your name. Amen.